Sign up to The Economist for in-depth curated expert analysis of world events and topics ranging from business and culture to science and technology. You'll get the weekly digital edition, online-only articles, curated newsletters on politics, the markets, science, culture and China, and full access to The Economist Podcast Plus. The Economist is independent journalism for independent thinking. Go to economist.com and get your first month free. You can hear me okay. Go ahead and throw up some emojis down there at the bottom. Heart with a plus sign. Wonderful. Great. And welcome everybody streaming live on timcast.com. Thank you for being a member. Tonight's space I'm really excited about. It's with two of my colleagues, Brett and Mary of Pop Culture Crisis. Uh, and y'all are going to teach me a few things because I am, I, I don't really do pop culture that often. So I'm, I'm kind of excited for today. So welcome, Mary and welcome, Brett. Hi, Josie. It's kind of weird. We've never actually had an official conversation. And as coworkers, we have not met yet. I know. It's crazy. <laughs> I know. It's, it's me. I'm down here hunkering down in Florida. So we need to have you on the show sometime. Absolutely. I mean, I, we can teach you about pop culture. This is great. See, I need to learn. See, <laughs> I I am a mother. I am a early millennial, so I guess it's called a zennial, and I'm raising a Swifty and a wannabe Swifty. So, so this is this is key. This I need this. What is a wannabe Swifty? Her eight-year-old like Swifty in training. Yes, her eight-year-old little sister. <laughs> I would actually think what's funny about this is I would say like this is more prevalent than ever because as politics evolves, what you're noticing is topics when you when you asked me about doing the space, I just threw out Disney and Taylor Swift because they're kind of omnipresent mm -hmm. in this world, but they also overlap heavily with the political world given the messaging behind Disney and Taylor Swift getting into the political arena. They really do overlap a lot. Mm. Yeah, so I figured that'd be that'd be a good way for me to kind of get my feet wet with with this. <laughs> yeah, Jack Posobiec is like going hard on Taylor Swift right now. Um, he just reposted this picture of a magazine on a grocery store checkout mm -hmm. line shelf that says Taylor Swift at home crafting guide with sixteen DIY projects. Baking, scrapbooking, bedazzling, friendship bracelets. You know, it all sounds very harmless, uh, mm -hmm. feminine, and fun. But this woman, a lot of people think that she is the Antichrist. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, it's hard to make sense of it all, isn't it? I, I got to confess, I, I have a mix that I listen to every time I have to travel. I go to Miami quite a bit, and I always have my Taylor Swift mix on because my daughter made it for me, all Taylor's version. I don't know what any of that means, but apparently that's the, that's the important stuff. And Mary's right. This is kind of the other thing is like, given how politicized everything is, a lot of conservatives will push back and have a problem with most celebrities. But at least when it comes to female conservatives, Taylor seems to get a pass mm -hmm. a lot of the time. Yes. Yeah. What, the way that I look at it, um, just Occam's razor, really, I feel like she is way too busy to be actually involved in politics. So she's kind of the <laughs> armchair you know, the way most people are. Like, I think that she might have a bit of normalcy and something a little more relatable to the average person and just being like, oh, you know, this is good, this is bad, and kind of a very baseline. But but it's, it's, it's wild because the powers that be know that they can use her influence and influence yeah. an entire generation. Like, if she were to start having babies, like, 
that would fix <laughs> that would fix the depopulation the depopulation EV Magazine had an article about that that essentially yeah. said that Taylor Swift having kids would bring about the next baby boom. Yes. I don't know if I buy that. <laughs> well, I, what I said was that, like, if Taylor Swift uh, gets married and has kids, that would be a positive influence. Mm -hmm. But I think that her fans, who are largely uh, younger than her, don't have a billion-dollar net worth and who you know don't tour around the world and have global fame that's going to follow them forever they have a better chance at finding love and starting families than taylor swift does but they don't seem to realize that yeah and she's got a ton of influence i know just how much influence she has even over my oldest daughter like so much like her room is just taylor swift everything everything is taylor swift like christmas it's just going to be straight up like a swift miss i i think i said that right so that is the insidious nature of it that is the insidious nature of it because if you feed someone like that your basic bullet points on what to talk about politically because she is so busy with her life does she really do we really believe that she has the time to look as deeply into all of these issues as people like us do in this space because we understand the gravity of it she does not have that opportunity but she has this amazingly large platform that will reach millions upon millions of people she registered i think thirty-eight thousand or more people to vote with a single instagram post and to think that the people that are part of her structural machine wouldn't use that to their advantage given that we know that the entertainment industry tends to lean a certain way i think would be naive to think that they don't take advantage of it I yeah she's that. absolutely a force to be reckoned with and i think conservatives just need to confront that fact whether they like it or not i'm not sure if i'm totally on board with uh laura loomer's polemic about this which is that taylor swift has secret plans to join the running for president in 2024 <laughs> but the math is mathing because she will actually have turned 35 by the time that uh inauguration day will roll around in 2020 uh 2024 which is I'm the sorry, same thing that happened yeah 2025 and that's the yeah. same thing that happened to joe biden when he was elected to right yeah yeah the repeating cycles mm -hmm. yeah, yeah i i don't see her getting that much into the political sphere she's she's a homebody she likes her cats you know she's I think there's just too much money to be made by staying out of it. She has more power doing what she's doing now mm -hmm. over the population than I think she would in office because we all, I mean, a lot of people, it's like when they float the idea of Michelle Obama <laughs> wanting to run, right? Like, do you really want the mud that comes with that? Because it's going to get worse if you choose to enter that arena. And I don't know why somebody her age would want to do that now. It doesn't really make sense. Plus, it seems to be that conservative entertainers are more likely to go into politics than liberal entertainers, the likes of, well, I guess you could consider Trump if you consider him a conservative, but obviously, you know, Ronald Reagan as well. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. I, I see that. And she's she was Time's Person of the Year, which was um, what made us kind of get into that. And I'm explaining this to my daughter, you know, because I, I tell her, I'm like, I'm like, you listen to her music, you do whatever. But if she starts talking to you about politics, you cover your ears and you come see me. I'm like, I'm the person that you talk to about that sort of stuff. So we have to set a boundary there. And otherwise, you can be as swifty as you want. But uh, the Time's Person of the Year, she made a comment. She was like, she's like it's like dictators and taylor swift are the most influential people because that's who the running was really down to 
I think that's a good idea, too, because one of the things that we wrestle with a lot when we talk about these issues is how much of it is a problem of the entertainers and how much of it is it a problem of the families who need to be keeping a closer eye on what their kids consume, right? Mm-hmm. So Taylor Swift makes the content she makes. She posts the social media stuff that she posts. That goes for other entertainers as well. But it really is on the parents to kind of make sure that their kids aren't being fed these ideologies or these lessons that they don't think they need to learn, at least not without the parents having first go at giving them a structured conversation on whether it's good or not. Yes, and you are also I agree with, with that, but uh, sorry, I, I agree with what Brett just said, mm-hmm. but <laughs> big but here, mm-hmm. uh, there are a lot of parents, maybe even most parents these days that pay relatively zero attention to the media that their kids consume or the celebrities that their kids idol worship. Um, And the fact remains that Taylor Swift is essentially raising a generation of mostly girls right now. And that could have deleterious effects depending on the, the model that she gives them. I, yeah, the problem I is we need that. to fix that from the ground up, right? We need to fix the what's going on at home because it's uh, it should be a lot easier for us to fix what's going on in our own lives than expect us to be able to put into place measures that you know affect or censor what's going on in the entertainment or political sphere. We always have more influence at home. Yes, and something Mary had said that I want to touch on is Mary said that Taylor Swift is essentially raising a generation of girls. That might put someone like Travis Kelsey as like a father figure in that regard, which oh, that's get horrifying. A I didn't even bit, think about it that way. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. Well, we have a lot of girls who are fatherless, and you know, you're gonna have Taylor Swift, who they look up to like a big sister or something in that regard, even even a maternal figure, and they're gonna have, you know, Travis Kelsey, who has a lot of he's he's big into like the big pharma stuff. You know, he's in all the commercials, and he's a big kind of promoter of that so it's it's very it's definitely something parents do need to be more present in their children's lives absolutely and set boundaries like healthy boundaries the kids cry out for boundaries they don't they don't want they don't want to not have them i mean they don't want to be helicoptered but they also don't want to not have any boundaries at all so but also think of like like Teen Vogue and how insane mm. Teen Vogue is. That's something that gets brought up in the political sphere all the time. Like if you're a parent, like imagine reading what those kids are reading, what the girls are reading in a magazine like that, which has absolutely insane communist and abortion propaganda all the time. Yeah. And it just goes unnoticed. Yeah, we were just talking about that issue of Cosmopolitan. They put out an article about uh, how to... Uh, guide a satanic abortion yes. ceremony <laughs> and it's just so in your face but I from being like growing up in the 2000s and the 2010s I was definitely on the tail end of girls fashion magazines in print actually being relevant and being influential and I did read like Tiger Bee 17 Teen Vogue was one of them mm-hmm. but then it sort of in 2013 2014 is when the propaganda really got ramped up and one of them i saw an advice column section in in, i believe teen vogue where one of the questions was um my my boyfriend doesn't identify as a feminist what am i supposed to do and 
if I recall correctly, it unironically advised her to break up with her boyfriend and find a man who believes in equality for women. Now, that was back in 2013 or so. Think about how much it's ramped up and, and gotten louder since then. Oh, like yeah. feeding them to the devil, right? Mm-hmm. Like there's nothing worse than a male feminist. Everyone knows this. Mm-hmm. Obviously. Okay. Yeah, don't oh, trust. Oh, I preach that. Those are, they are predatory. It's terrible. I wanted to touch on, uh, t- you said 2013 when you noticed things went kind of crazy. So it was the NDAA of 2013 where they repealed and replaced the Smith-Munt Act, which was the um, domestic, it was the Propaganda Act. So what they did, they lifted the domestic dissemination ban so that propaganda was allowed to to flow freely through America again. And that happened. So if you think back to when everything went crazy, it was 2013. And it really falls right in line with when phones with Internet access immediately accessible started entering our pockets. Like when you Mm -hmm. get get to the iPhone 4 and up, it's really when people started having access to the Internet everywhere they go all the time. Yes. But yeah, yeah that- I, I was definitely 13 with my eye touch. Not even, <laughs> not even. I was, I was like 11 with an eye touch that has internet access. It's, it's everything an iPhone is without cell service. I feel even older than normal now, Mary. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So do we want to touch a little bit on Disney too? What's up with uh, um, Bob Iger? <laughs> Disney, is a, Disney is a disaster right now. Disney is an absolute disaster right now. Not just Bob Iger. Yeah. yeah, not just Bob Iger, who's going through all his own troubles as he tries to figure out how to fix what is ostensibly uh, a sinking ship in a lot of ways. They're battling lawsuits on all fronts. There was a new lawsuit just last week where 9,000 women are suing them for discriminatory pay practices <laughs> on top of the fact that all of their movies are failing at the box office and they can't seem to figure out what the hell is wrong, even though people like Mary and I Mm -hmm. and so many others on YouTube have been shouting to the heavens what the problem is, which is that they're not writing good stories. They've become an IP factory rather than actual creative artistic people, and they will do pretty much anything but solve that problem, it seems. And it's got Kathleen Kennedy from the South Park episode. Yep. Put a woman in it and make Mm -hmm. make make it lame, right? Yep, make it lame and gay. <laughs> make it lame and gay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah that's I exactly saw that, but I, like most people don't know who Kathleen Kennedy is. They just know that Disney movies suck. And that's like, we do cover all of the industry-related news around Disney regularly. Mm-hmm. But what I enjoy and what most people find accessible is just talking about Disney's output, which sucks hard. Yeah. It's so bad. And everyone notices whether they think it's because it's woke or just... Because they think it's bad and low mm-hmm. effort. Everyone's on the same page about that. So um, yeah. in, I think it was 1948, uh, Walt Disney, I could have, the, it might be 1938, I could be totally wrong in that year, so don't quote me, but Walt Disney went and he testified before the, uh, before a committee in Congress about the communist infiltration of Hollywood. And he said, you know, this is happening, and if you can go and read his testimony, and it is going to just make your skin crawl. It's going to give you chills because of everything he said was happening, happened. Um, and so so when he went and he did this, the communists got super mad. And they were like, we are going to destroy you. We're going to ruin everything that you ever loved. We're going to we're gonna destroy your company from the inside out, essentially, is what they did. And, and uh, so now if you think about it, you've probably heard Walt Disney is an anti-Semite. That's probably, yep, you hear yeah, that all the time that? still. Yeah, that's yep. communist propaganda. So um, yep. what had happened in the uh, right around the time of um, 
when the war was really taking off is the the communists over in Europe had written a letter to the communists in America and they're like hey anytime somebody becomes particularly like intrusive or gets really in your way becomes obnoxious you need to label them you need to call them an anti-semite you need to call them a fascist um, and then there was one other one other word that you need to call them and it's all the words that we hear now that they used to smear people and so that's what they did with Walt Disney they repeated it until you know the lie went into history and became the truth that he was an anti-semite even though he he made like four propaganda films that were anti-hitler um, through his company so it's just the power of communism and uh, what what they can do because they do know for all their awful faults and how you know they they aren't people per the Civil Rights Act of 1964. They do know how to organize and mobilize and get shit done. So gotta gotta learn something from them when it comes to that regard. The biggest problem there is also like what we see nowadays is as all of these properties, these companies, they become legacy brands, right? And they, they lose the vision that was once important to the person who created them. So you see a lot as it gets farther and farther away from the ones who made it famous. This is very common now when people talk about Tolkien, right? With everything that's coming out with Lord of the Rings now, is that as we get farther and farther from the vision of the people who created these absolutely incredible brands and properties, the people who take over who become the caretakers of them, they don't realize that they really, in a lot of ways, are resting on the shoulders of giants. And instead, they seem to want to use it for modern-day ideological purposes, which we can smell from a mile away because we're paying very close attention. Whether all of the youth of today sense it, I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think you know bad when you see it, mm -hmm. but the propaganda has just tripled, and it's yeah, insane. It if you come right out with it and say that you think Disney is a propaganda arm for communism, I think a lot of people would call you crazy. Mm -hmm. But we recently reviewed Wish, which is the newest Disney animated film. It did terribly at the box office, by the way. <laughs> um, we reviewed it, and it, not only was it just bad, as I said, it, like I don't think anybody looking for ideological cues would catch on them, but they would notice how low effort and just simply bad it was. But it definitely had very clear communist propaganda and very clear anti-religion propaganda that even though there might not be a term for it, kids are imbibing that message. Yeah, and they, uh, th these people, as you were kind of remarking on a little bit, they, they, they want to cancel the people who moved who changed culture they want to be like this next wave where it's like no all of this is out and all of this is in and that's that's communist propaganda too what communists want to do they want to abolish the family religion history truth um and anything like that that grounds people into their roots and a lot of that is you know Disney, it grounded people into the roots. Now it's like, nope, we're going to totally abolish that. We're going to live in the present. Everything is offensive. And, you know, that that's a, that's a big one. But the major one that we see right now is um, we see it with borders. They want to tear down the borders. Like, without a nation, they nations are, are uh, anti-communist. Um, and then family is another big one. You kind of see them, you know, chipping away at that family structure really, really hard. 
Hollywood has been pushing the idea of chosen family over actual family for many, many years now, mm. and it's ramped up, especially in probably the last 20 years, I think, perhaps, I mean, perhaps longer, maybe I'm just not old enough to remember it, <laughs> but, like, the idea of chosen family is very, very big. The problem is, when it's done right, it can they can actually be heartwarming stories, but when you put all of them together, and you realize that most of the focus goes there, and very little of the focus seems to go on to showing families with a strong social structure together, you realize that it's not about what they're showing you, it's about what they're showing you and what they're not showing you, and that's a problem. Yeah, it, Encanto was about your generational trauma, which was <laughs> which was interesting. Um, I never watched Encanto. Can who, you elaborate on, on that? that? I was like, I want to learn about generational yeah. trauma. Let's watch that. So, without giving away too much, I've watched this show, I've watched this movie probably 900 times, um, given I have an 8-year-old. So it's it's a family, and you know, um, it's a uh, where where are they from? Colombia. So families like that, they're they're multi generational. You know, the the grandparents live with the children, and the grandchildren they kind of live in this big home. So um, this 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 grandmother flee what I can only imagine to be like communism, <laughs> but it's not because they love that. But she she fle- she fled with her husband and her triplets, and you know something happens to the husband, and she. She's left with like this candle and it's like a magic candle and it creates this house, this, this magical house, which is Encanto and, um, it, it's Encanto Casita. So, so that, so they, so she has her three babies. They all get married. They all have kids. They're all living in this, this house and they all have these special gifts except for one of them. The, the, the lead girl doesn't have a gift. Nobody really knows why she doesn't have a gift, but it's about how in the end, like it's not. It's not your gifts that make you special. You're already special, is essentially. But the grandmother was really like, no, you, you're only special if you have a gift. And, you know, you could really interpret that in a lot of ways, just, um, just, just growing up with maybe parents who were strict. Maybe they picked a favorite, you know, things like that. So it was, it was a good movie in that regard where it, it wasn't like um, totally, totally anti-family. It was about the troubles of a family. But then, you know, obviously happy endings and all that because Disney. Mm. Mm. I don't actually have a problem with that as much. Yeah. Not as much. It doesn't sound as bad as Wish was. But since we're on Disney, I did just want to mention this story that we're, I'm predicting we're going to cover this tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That uh, a judge has allowed 9,000 women who work for Disney to sue Disney for pay disparity. Uh, which is insane that we're recycling the gender wage, wage gap. The gender wage gap debate of Let's 2015 go. in Checks Notes 2023. Mm-hmm. And their attorney said Disney has been gaslighting these women for four years. They love their jobs, they love the brand, but they want to be respected and treated the way they should be in the workplace. Oh. Bob Iger is just a toxic boyfriend. I always knew it. <laughs> Is... You know what? Like, wokeness is the toxic boyfriend that Disney can't seem to break up with, even though all of their friends are telling them to. It's that DEI. They, they just can't escape it because they get punished if, if they if they escape it. But then they like it. It's like they, they grow to love their chains type of thing. Like, you know, it's hurting them, but they just can't get away from it. They love the abuse. <laughs> I mean, and that's, that's really the other reason why when people talk about them making change to Disney, I don't see it to be, even, even with all the money lost, right, mm-hmm. it goes deeper than just bad storytelling. And 
on many occasions, you can just say, look, you're going to have bad movies every once in a while. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is top down, Disney has built their company now around these DEI departments and through structural change, through Reimagine Tomorrow, where they talk about the not-so-secret gay agenda and all of these <laughs> things, which are issues that, look, we're seeing this coming to a head in academia right now. And how these schools are run isn't all that different from the structure of a large corporate entity. So Disney's not going to be making these changes anytime soon because the publicity will be horrible when they start. Because remember, in 2020, a bunch of new positions were added at the corporate level for entertainment companies, for standard Fortune 500 companies as a response to George Floyd, right? That was Mm -hmm. a thing. And you can't just start getting rid of all of those positions en masse, though it has happened as the economic downturn happened. But we're not going to see change at a company like Disney for five years at least. And I don't even think it's really feasible that even that happens. I don't think they learned their lesson. The thing is, they should have started restructuring Disney on a corporate level as soon as the Reimagine Tomorrow Zoom meeting leaks happened. Uh-huh. Wasn't that back in 2019 that... Christopher Rico exposed that. What was 2020, that? I think. I, I, I feel like it might have been before COVID, but maybe since they're on a Zoom meeting, it, it must have been in, in the middle of or, yeah, in the middle of 2020. What but happened? Like that, that's when they should have started rethinking all of this. Mm-hmm. What's and, a little background on that? Oh. Wait, sorry, what? What's background on what happened at that Zoom meeting? I'm not sure. Yeah, so um, Chris Rufo exposed this uh, and leaked these clips of a conference that they were having that's literally called Reimagine Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And that's where uh, you might have seen the clip of a Disney executive saying that she has a not-so-secret gay agenda. Oh, that she intentionally yeah. is inserting LGBTQ characters and themes into kids' entertainment. Now, like, her justification for doing that, if you asked her, would probably be something flowery language. Like, you know, I just want kids who are growing up uh, in the closet to feel like they can find acceptance in the world and be represented on screen. And that woman, you remember, Mary, that woman had uh, one trans child and one non-binary child. Oh, Jordan Jordan Peterson. Okay, yes. Well, there was there was it was either the same woman or, or a different woman who was on that Zoom meeting who also said that she has uh, yeah a pansexual child. Yeah, that's what it was. Okay, yes, child and the a queer child or whatever. So Jordan Hopefully Peterson. Hopefully they're adults. Wait, yeah, seriously, if you're talking about the sexuality of your child, they better be at least 16 years old. But right. uh, Jordan Peterson, I come out and uh, I think it was after this, and he said, you know, the chances of having a non-binary child and a trans child or a trans child mixed with really any other kind of child one in nine billion so so what are the chances because everybody has one it's it's like you know it's like a designer purse so what are the chances that these are children who that that really is they are the one in nine billion or that they just have a narcissistic cluster b mother Exactly. And it wasn't just platitudes. Look, at at a certain point in that meeting and what they talk about it for Disney was they said, we at a certain point want to reach 50% of our characters to be uh, of, uh, of an underrepresented group or sexuality. 
right? So that was part of it. And this is on top of the fact that this is part of the entertainment industry and the Oscars started to put similar quotas on their requirements for Best Picture to qualify for awards. And a lot of these companies still put a lot of value on those awards, even though normal people look at the Oscars and the Emmys and say, who gives a crap, mm-hmm. right? So this is not something that can be fixed. Disney. The, the, this is the longhouse. These Zoom meetings with all of these tyrannical women talking about their their agendas that are not just in their households but are enacted on a mass scale. This is this is a gynocracy, and it's Anywhere. by female feelings. And they love, obviously, like by nature, women love uh, feeling affirmed and affirming others. And uh, they're very suggestible mm-hmm. and um, they, they also get like fulfillment out of feeling like they are reaching out to and helping the marginalized and it can be taken in such a demonic direction, obviously. Beware the female HR representative in middle management, always. <laughs> Absolutely. I'd love to open up the floor for some questions. Would you guys be up for that? Yeah, definitely. Cool. Go for it. All right. So if anybody has a question, you go ahead down there at the bottom, request to be a speaker, and I'll make you one. And once you're ready to ask your question, you hit that heart with a plus sign. And all the way up to the right, there's a hand. You slap that hand, and that's going to put your hand up in the air and let me know. All right, cool. So let me um, add a few speakers. Okay. Great. All right, and just, uh, yeah, go ahead, uh, Jethro. Hi, Josie. Hi. Uh, First of all, congratulations. Uh, Yesterday was a pivotal moment in culture war history with Elon Musk reinstating and then speaking with Alex Jones. Mm -hmm. Uh, you You were on the front lines of free speech. Space is among some of the most influential independent media figures in the entire world. Over 11.5 million people have listened so far. Uh, you rose to the occasion on that biggest of stages, using the opportunity to clarify some important nuances on the definition of constitutional speech, a relevant concern considering Linda Yaccarino's lawful but awful rhetoric. <laughs> so yeah, thank you for everything, Josie. You're a Liberty rock star, so congratulations. Thank you. I wanted to throw up the entire time. I was the most nervous I've ever been in my life. <laughs> I promise that I won't pull a Vivek on this space. Yes. Oh, Are you, sure? you know what? Come on, Vivek. Do it. Vivek established dominance. What is a more masculine thing that he could do? He was marketing his territory. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's got Andrew Tate. He's got Tristan Tate. He's got uh, Alex Jones. He's got Elon Musk. And he's like, you know what? I am I am the alpha. And that's what he did. He needs to, at the next debate, he needs to just walk in front of the podium and zip his pants up. <laughs> God bless him. That was so awesome. <laughs> that whole space was incredible. Yeah, and you were awesome too, Josie. You asserted your own dominance by asking such an important question, or raising such an important issue. So thank you for that. Uh, I do actually have a question for Brett and Mary as well. But um, yeah, yeah, so thank absolutely. you, Josie. Go ahead. But yeah, so um, Brett and Mary, just like Josie, both of you and the entire Tim Crass crew have been on the entire, or been on the front lines of the culture war. So first of all, thank you guys for standing up for all of us sane people against the woke mind virus at Fiat Clown World. Uh, there are a bunch of questions I'd love to ask, but just trying to tie them all together. Uh, in the space yesterday with Josie, Alex Jones and Elon Musk discussed how the propaganda industrial complex spans across PR firms, as well as the corporate press, Hollywood, and most other aspects of culture. One of the biggest white pills in the world right now is the rise of decentralized independent alternatives. 
Tim Cast is obviously one of the major players on the front lines, but Brett, uh, you alluded to other YouTubers as well, uh, particularly yeah. on the front lines against Bob Iger and Disney. Uh, so specifically like Chrissy Mayer, the critical drinker, Gary Beekler from Nerdrotics, who I know has been on TimCast before. Uh, Chrissy's been on Space of Josie before. And uh, just before today's space, I was watching your appearance, Mary, on the Chrissy Mayer podcast recently. Uh, so my question, are there any plans yet for further collaboration between the fellowship and TimCast with all your mutual friends like Chrissy and Gary? Sorry for the long question. Thank you. Um, a lot of it comes down to scheduling, right? Like, so for Gary, he is an extremely busy dude, an extremely busy dude. And we've, uh, we're hoping to get him on at some point, but when you got that much stuff going on all the time, one of the hardest things for our show, one of the things that we do differently than some of the other shows in these spaces is we don't do zoom style meetings, right? Everything we do when we do have guests is done in person. So scheduling can be a really big headache when you got to make sure they got to be able to get out there. They got to be able to fly in fly out it takes time right but we're definitely hoping that uh, more big guests come in the new year and we do have a couple of big ones that are already scheduled though we can't talk about it mm -hmm. now we will continue the work yeah specifically watch out for our shows on fridays that's generally when we have a special guest show up to the studio um i like doing in studio appearances with these guests because mm -hmm. zoom interviews are just not the same thing at all um so Watch our show on Friday specifically, and I think that you'll be pleasantly surprised. I am the person that handles outreach to a lot of our guests, so uh, I'm always open to suggestions. But yeah, definitely, that's always in the works. Awesome. Very cool to hear. Um, yeah, thank you again for everything you guys are doing. Thank yeah, you so thank much. Thank you, 07s in the, in the space. I guess I can't say chat. <laughs> in the space. Yes. Who's in the space? Uh, I mean, like, 07, salute me. Oh, okay. <laughs> I guess oh, that's the reaction you can do. And let's talk to them. I'll also just quickly give a plug for TimCast online. For everybody listening who hasn't already subscribed for the monthly membership, I encourage everybody to do so to support Mary, Brett, and Josie's work. So, yeah, Absolutely. thanks, everybody. Yep, and Thank I'm going to be. I'm going to be sending everybody from here over to IRL after I saw. I see Phil's in the comments. I saw Serge in here a little earlier before, so we all support each other, and that's that's where y'all got to go after. It's going to be an exciting show tonight. I think they're going to cover. Um, I'm guessing they're going to cover yesterday's uh, wild space, so that'll be fun. All right, let's see next speaker. Um, SB has back. <laughs> The buy is fine. Hi, Josie. Thank Hi. you so much, Mike. Big fan. And uh, yeah, I see Phil that remains is in here. Phil, man, I was just listening to this calling in the gym today. What a rock solid song. Um, okay, my question for Mary and Brett. So, you know, obviously, I've, I've been, I've, I've watched some of your episodes criticizing and kind of critiquing the pop culture. Um, I'm just curious do you two have any designs and potentially writing some material? for shows or movies for Timcast or like in partnership with Daily Wire because, you know, they're they're building something huge, right? The mm -hmm. counterculture. 
Right now, that's one of those things. Like, look, I'm not a I'm not a screenwriter by trade, but there are so many people doing that in this space, or not so many people. The places like the Daily Wire are doing such a good job. If you haven't checked out Lady Ballers or any of those other movies, the the issue is, is like, look, you can watch these movies, you can critique them, and every single one of these projects should at least be looked at with a critical eye, right? Like, we shouldn't just like things just because they speak to our sensibilities, but to the ones that are actually doing it, the ones who are putting in that work. I have the utmost respect for them, but uh, Cast Castle is doing a lot of their own shorts and videos that also critique the culture, and I know they've got plans over there, and Tim is always developing new ideas, so I would say just watch out more for what Tim is doing, because the things that he wants to produce outside of just content that is criticizing the culture is stuff that's actually supposed to help shift the culture through satire, through humor, all of these things. There's just, uh, it's an exciting time to be in this space for sure. Yeah, I don't have a lot to add to that, but I'll just say like I prefer to to remain firmly in my place as yeah. that comments on and critiques things mm-hmm. in pop culture and I don't have any plans to become a screenwriter or a director in the future, uh, but who knows. <laughs> I will be interviewing Lady Ballers uh, Crane & Co. Uh, tomorrow on MySpace. Oh, fun. Awesome. If you want to laugh at something, go watch. So, so me and Mary, we went out to Nashville for the premiere of Lady Ballers, and we got a chance to talk to many of the main cast from that film. And perhaps the funniest thing in the world is, like, me standing next to these guys who are, like, eight feet tall compared to me. Because well, I'm like... <laughs> Because I'm like five foot five, and I'm just like looking up at this guy. I'm like, oh, so who would buy you as a pro basketball player, huh? <laughs> it's funny. Awesome. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Uh, every man a Ken. Go ahead. Oh, hey, guys. Uh, uh, Mary and Brett, a uh, recent, uh, very recent fan of your, uh, I, I found your show, uh, your channel very recently. Sorry, I'm stuttering tonight. But uh, I love your show, your channel. I've been watching it all day at work. I just want to say how much, how great it is that you guys are, are kind of on the front lines of sort of the right needs to stop seeding grounds on, you know, pop culture and stuff. A lot of right wingers are like, oh, we just need to leave that. But, you know, that's where the battleground is for the, you know, you know, for, for the next generation, I think. And so you guys are doing a great job with that. Um, Thank you. Thank you. Um, I was gonna, I was kind of, I was gonna kind of bring this up, and I know it's kind of, it's gonna seem kind of, like, kind of a silly question. I haven't seen your review for the Barbie movie yet. <laughs> it's kind of funny considering that's what gimmick of my account is. But um, I was gonna, you know, there's been this recent trend of since the Barbie movie. You know, a lot of people were, you know. A lot of right-wing pundits had this thing of like, you know, it's secretly or accidentally a conservative movie. You know, that that was. <laughs> I was curious what your, your take on that was, and I I, I, I can kind of see that, and I kind of think it's a good idea that we sort of try to make a, uh, a, a I don't want to say a trend of that. You know, reinterpreting uh, deliberately reinterpreting Marxist propaganda to our own ends. I think that's a fantastic idea. I think we should exploit that. What are your thoughts? Uh, one of the things that we, we talked a lot about this movie to the point, right, Mary, where people were just, like mental illness in the thing, like it was the only thing that people wanted to talk about. And people were very annoyed with that. But one of the things, one of the ways, you know, that it wasn't a secret message is that there was an interview that they did with Greta Gerwig in which they asked her about the feminist message of the movie. And she stuttered more in 15 minutes than I do on an episode of our show. And that's 
plenty, right? So if she can't give a coherent answer as to what the message of her movie is, how am I supposed to buy into this deeper message that everyone else is reading into it? Yeah, it actually, like, very clearly was not a secretly conservative movie. No. No idea how you could do, like, mental gymnastics to justify that argument. A bit more accidentally, I think. It was just a badly done, um, chaotically thrown-together feminist movie. Mm. Obviously, given that Greta Gerwig, when asked, how is this a feminist movie... She, she couldn't answer that she question. Answer it. But she, she affirmed, like, yes, this is definitely a feminist movie because um, reasons. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I misspoke when I said secretly. Yeah, the, the other problem is, is the first 45 minutes of the movie are actually good. And there's actually, like, this outline to something that could have been great if they had just followed through on the idea the whole way. And the reason you know that it's propaganda is because when it hits, it hits really, really hard and it becomes unbelievably noticeable. That's one of the things that I think for a lot of us, maybe this, maybe this is just me, so this could be projection, but to me it's the language in movies that really gives it uh, that really says, uh, gives it away to me it's when I start to hear buzzwords when I start to hear the internet heavy buzzwords that everyone's using when they're talking on Twitter or they're talking on X excuse me that's when you know it's delved uh, it's kind of veered off the course of being entertainment and it's joined the world of propaganda because the language becomes structured in a way that they read it from someone else rather than having it come organically to themselves Exactly. I, and I think that I'll leave you with this. I don't want to hold up your time. But I, uh, I thought, you know, I saw a lot of left wingers when this when the movie came out would be like, oh, yeah, go woke or sorry, go woke, go fucking billion dollar movie or whatever. Yeah. And I was like, yeah, you can say that all you want. But uh, it, it, one of the biggest white pills of the year was like a shitload of uh, uh, rags being like, shut up about Ken already. He's not the best part of the movie. And it was just like, <laughs> ha, 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 everyone holding up and Ken signs like, you know, I. LARPing as neoconservatives like I, I do or whatever, but yeah, I don't know. I just wanted to kind of bring it up because it was definitely one of the most interesting discourses of the year. That was just definitely oh, go ahead. that Ken was everyone's favorite character. <laughs> and it, it didn't make money because it was woke. It made money because women have been starved for movies that actually, play, you know, that actually paid attention to their sensibilities, right? So it's not a superhero movie where they shoehorn in a female character that women don't want to go see because those aren't the things that women fantasize about. Exactly. That I care about. It's a movie made by a woman for women, and that's just such a rare thing nowadays that it was bound to make that much money when you combine the fact that it's part of a property like Bar, you know, something like Barbie, which has all this unbelievable name recognition, recognition and cultural history. All right. Well, I appreciate you guys, you know, uh, chatting with me. It's nice to talk to y'all. Uh, here's hoping we got more Barbenheimers down uh, coming in the years to come to take down Disney. So, mm -hmm. <laughs> thank you so <laughs> much. You. Fun fact: I was in a Greta Gerwig movie. Um, what? Yeah. When um, did that happen? <laughs> it was Little Women. I was on the no stage way. when Joe went what? to see a play. Yeah. What? <laughs> I have to watch that now. Yeah. So you know when Joe goes, I think it's Joe goes to see the play. I'm on the stage. Okay. You can find me so on the stage. We could do like a we could do like a clickbait interview, like mm -hmm. interview with Greta Gerwig movie star. Like, <laughs> do this. Mm -hmm. By the way, you get a lot of comparisons to Elizabeth Olsen. I'm sure you do, right? Oh, I've never heard that before in my life. I'm kidding. I hear I'm, that all the time. Yes. Okay. All the time. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. No, that that was cool. Um, 
Yeah, I was in a few movies. I used to do uh, some acting up in when I lived in Massachusetts through Boston Casting. So I was in uh, this movie called Sex Tape. It's Cameron Diaz and... Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay. You got a big scene in that one. Uh, okay. Yeah, cool cool stuff. It's all real fun. So uh, let me see. Uh, Honey Badger, go ahead. Hey, thank you so much, Josie. Um, hi, Mary and Brett. I really do dig uh, Pop Culture Crisis. I like that show a lot, and uh, but you know my favorite guest probably is Seamus, and my question will probably reveal why. So as we've been listening to the conversation about the culture fall, you know fallout at the hands of feminism or communism or you know feminist communist whatever, um, a great deal of the conversation focused around the effects on women. So I'm interested just to you know like for you know somebody to share a few thoughts about you know how. Um, you know, maybe focus on the effects that it has had on young men. And then um, one more caveat there, um, because in this coming generation, there is one, what I see is like one glimmer of hope in terms of, you know, returning to family values, um, which is actually among young Catholics. You know, I'm seeing this more and more, um, including in my son and his own friends um, that are like young millennial, older Gen Z, who are actually more interested in, you know, the traditional church, like pre-Vatican II, you know, and actually attending Latin Mass, and their, you know, their girlfriends are planning to stay home, et cetera, like this. Um, that is one glimmer, glimmer of hope I've seen, you know, perhaps you're seeing it in other parts of society, too. So, you know, um, just like with the knowledge that, you know, I know at least Mary is Catholic, I, I would really like to get your insight on that, and also the effects that it's had on men, because I, I, I would perceive maybe that this is the pendulum swinging the other way, hopefully. Thank you. Yeah, so um, as the the resident Catholic of pop culture crisis, the the one out of two, um, <laughs> I will take that. So we we actually talked about after the show this tweet I saw that said the average American Catholic has a total fertility fertility rate of one point seven, and the total fertility rate of Catholics who attend Latin Mass is I believe three point six, which is double the national average and i mean to see actual fruits like that of a an insular culture that's still growing among young catholics is really hopeful i agree with you on that and as for the first thing you mentioned there you're right that there is an outsized focus on the ways that pop culture influences women i think it's Firstly, because women just pay more attention to pop culture, period. But secondly, um, that means that women have an outsized influence on the culture. And I I do want to pay more focus to the ways that uh, the media we consume affects young men and, and boys these days. Because, I mean, just think about it. We all know that male characters in any of these stories coming out of big studios are bumbling idiots or they're ineffective emasculated uh totally unnecessary and that they're writing stories for young girls now is to teach them exactly that 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 men are totally you know unnecessary and irrelevant to their existence and um that true love is not something to aspire to and that for men you know the desire to save protect and provide for women is not a desire that they they should aspire to. Yeah. So you're you're absolutely right that we do talk about the ways that that pop culture affects women more than we talk about men. 
Yeah, like, uh, what was it, like, gosh, probably a year ago now, like, I, I wrote a couple of articles for TimCast, and one of them that I wrote was an article called The Rise of the Panicky Male Lead, which is essentially, he's the lead character, but he's kind of ineffectual, and he gets the job done, but he's not in control, he's not somebody you see as dominant or in any way what I guess would be considered, you know, with alpha qualities. It worked for a while because there were certain actors, one example is, like, like Shia LaBeouf in like the Transformers movies who's constantly yipping and yammering and making all these noises as crazy stuff happens around him. And that kind of uh, uh, model is very, very prevalent because we're just not in the age anymore where there's a ton of examples of, you know, the reason why they loved Tom Cruise in Top Gun Maverick is because he's all of the things that you just described. He's all of the other, he's all of the things that they're not. Right. He's good at his job. He is able to teach the next next generation. He's not put down for his age. And that's the type of strong role model you would actually want to put forth for your kids. But that movie was considered an anomaly and made a billion dollars in 2022. Whereas to you and I, we can look at something like that and say, why don't they just do more of that? That makes perfect sense you're not going to get them to turn around on that because most of Hollywood is looking to affect the culture in a way that dilutes the effect that men have on it. Yeah, so. they, they want to divide the sexes as much as humanly possible. Yeah. It's their demonic project. Like, they want the battle of the sexes. They want hatred and vitriol and division between the sexes because the complementarity between men and women is the most powerful force in the world. And if they're not uh, getting along, then they're certainly not breeding. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And the and the men like look this has been going this is going on for so long not just in entertainment right so I'm I'm 37 and what I remember from my youth was there was a lot of pushing of the notion to women like look you can be anything you want you can do anything if you want to be president you can be president you can have it all and when that was going on men were kind of they weren't really told how to deal with that. And as the entertainment changed and gave them less and less actual examples of good fatherhood, you know, of, of proper fatherhood, of being a man that leads. So you pollute the pop culture. You have a message that's only for women without actually telling the next generation of men how to deal with that in a positive or proactive way. That's a very, very easy way for society, you know, for the most nefarious members of society to change the way we see things. And it's been going on a hell of a lot longer than 20, you know, we talk about 2016 and Ghostbusters 2016 and the, in the death of pop culture. This has been going on far longer than that. All right, let's hop to a few more questions um, before we have to, or we have to do a hard stop. Um, let me see. Bradley, do you have a question? Um, thanks, Josie. I was just wondering, when does your calendar come out? <clears throat> <laughs> I am in that uh, that calendar, that conservative beer calendar, and it is wholesome as hell. Um, and uh, yeah, you can go to my page under my highlights i believe and uh see how if you can buy it there i am not in a swimsuit I just make that really clear that's yeah, that's totally fine. It's not thank you calendar <laughs> it is not that not for me that that's not for me so okay yeah so uh so yeah it was a uh, about 10 percent of the proceeds go to um riley gaines um 
commitment to, um, you know, the, the girls who, who, who lose out on trophies and winnings, she's yep. funding money for them and 10% of the proceeds go to that. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Great. Thank you. Uh, let me see. Mike, go ahead. Thanks, Josie. So my question, I'll keep it very brief and simple. How do you guys think we can harness the power of meme magic to win the culture war? Hmm. Well, the, the, it kind of answers itself because the left can't meme and mm-hmm. all memes are derivative of, of what the right wing comes up with. Yeah, it's funny because, like, in a lot of ways they try. And even in the entertainment divisions, we see this a lot. Like, they, they fall into it. In in entertainment, right, it was a very big thing, like, when the show Wednesday came out with Jenna Ortega. It became naturally memeable in a lot of ways. And they fall into this every once in a while where something works. But the right seems to get it much, much easier because they're pushing back on the culture, whereas the left is so scared of offending everyone that they don't really know how to make anything creative that actually resonates with people. If you want to look at something horrible, go look at The Onion now. It's it's depressing, considering how good The Onion used to be. Mm, that's a good point. We have the Babylon Bee, though. Yes, we have. They had a great one today. They had a great one today. It says, says uh, children everywhere on their best behavior because Santa threatens to put the marvels in everyone's Christmas stocking. <laughs> uh, the Babylon Bee is fantastic. Definitely. All right. Thank you for your question, Mike. Thank you. Absolutely. Uh, the Ultra American, go ahead. You're muted if you... Oh, there we go. There you go, Sorry. you got it. Uh, glad to be here. Uh, big fan of Pop Culture Crisis. Here, glad to be here in Spaces on the Twix. And Thank so, you. I'll Thank try you. to keep it really quick. So, it's not just movies that I've been seeing a lot of stuff happen. It's now getting into, basically, the game tables as well, where... And this is like a legit game. I'm not lying when I'm, I'm not making this up at all. There's literally a game that was made where it's about a girl uh, transforming into a horse. And you actually draw on your body all the parts that you're going to surgically remove to turn yourself into a horse. Uh. So those kinds of games are starting to come out now. So, And a lot of like the old school gamers are like, we need to start gatekeeping people. But I'm from the kind of one that's like, these games were meant for everyone to begin with. There's got to be some kind of common ground. So I guess... I know, I know some of this, like, talking about TTRPGs may be foreign to some people on here, but I'm just kind of, like, just wondering, what would be the right approach? Do we just need to start gatekeeping and be like, oh, these people can't be part of this hobby anymore? Or is it just be like, just keep it to, like, hey, if you can sit down with me, you're we're cool, but you can't be talking about this kind of stuff at the table? That is a hard one because I think for most of us would agree that you want these spaces to be available to everyone because these types of hobbies bond people together. But a lot of people, you know, especially culture war people, they understand that we, like if we had if people had gatekept earlier in a lot of these hobbies, whether it's comics, whether it's tabletop gaming, there would be a better chance that perhaps it wouldn't have become such a, an infestation. But I personally don't like the idea of gatekeeping. I don't know if I have the stomach for it, but I understand where the impulse comes for other people. Okay, yeah, roll. That was a nat twenty answer on that one, in my opinion. So, just again, just wanted to ask about that because I see Mary. it happening downhill. So, Mary, how do you? What do you feel about this? Do you feel like this is the type of thing that like is gatekeeping necessary in these in these hobbies? Well, me, like I am totally ignorant of the cultures that surround 
comic books, video mm-hmm. games, tabletop gaming, like they all have their own insular cultures. And I think that for comic books, Comicsgate has really like demonstrated uh, a manual for how to respond to the failures of the the mainstream in one of those hobbies. Like obviously all of the independent comics are doing far better financially than whatever, you know, Disney's Marvel or DC is putting out. And then on the other hand with video games, I mean, it, it Gamergate, like it or not, uh, it kicked off the culture war, but it did not win. It did not uh, carry the day for video games. Yeah. Or it did not. They did not win video games or the video game industry or video game journalism at all. And it, I haven't seen independent studios or independent um, uh, game developers like coming out on top the way that independent comic book. Uh, illustrators and writers have come out on top in that story. All right. Uh, that was all I had, so thank you guys for answering, and once again, big fan of the show, and I always look forward to the next one. Thank you, thank so, you much. so much. Thank you. All right, we got about five minutes, so I guess we can do our closings. Uh, where can everybody find you guys? Yeah, so we're on YouTube <clears throat> at Pop Culture Crisis. We go live at 3 p.m. Eastern every Monday through Friday. So you're going to see us there tomorrow if you guys tune in. And we have a special guest on Fridays. And for me, my Twitter is right here, so that'll be easy to find. And my Instagram is also Mary Archived. Yep. Uh, so also, if you want to listen, we do put the audio version up. We got people listening here, so perhaps uh, Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Spotify, all those types of platforms. You can listen to the audio version. I try to get it up right after the show, so it goes up pretty soon after we finish, around 6 p.m. So go and check it out there. And if you'd like to follow me, I'm on Instagram and Twix here. It's just at Brett Dasovic on both of those platforms. Thank you all so much. Thank you, and thank you guys so much for being my guest tonight. This was a lot of fun. I feel like we could have gone like all night with the questions, too. I'm so sorry I couldn't get to everybody, but we have a hard stop at 8 tonight. Uh, thank I'm, you so much, Josie. Thank you for absolutely. having me. Absolutely. It's my pleasure. I'm Josie. I'm the Redheaded Libertarian. You can find me here on X at TRHL Official. If there's a speaker or a guest that you're interested in, you go ahead and click the photo and uh, follow that way. Um, this also, my, my spaces also stream live on timcast.com for members only uh so you can become a member and you can watch all of my reactions uh to these spaces which is always a lot of fun um and they're also going to be streaming on spotify and various um various audio venues like that as well uh very soon so i'm really looking forward to that uh tomorrow's space i have on um the Kane and Company guys from Lady Ballers. Wednesday I have on Zuby. And on Saturday I'm doing a solo space. It's the 250th anniversary of the Boston Tea Party. And I'm going to tell you all the story about that because that's my specialty is, uh, is revolutionary history. If you're interested in any of my spaces, past or present, you can go ahead and click on the highlights tab on my page and follow there. Um, set a reminder for an upcoming space, any of that. But again, thank you everybody so much, and I want to encourage you to head over to TimCast.com for IRL tonight. It's going to be an exciting episode. And until next time, everybody take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Bye. Thanks, Josie. Bye-bye. Thanks. Bye, guys.